Hello everyone and welcome to episode 9 of the Deerhorn. I'm your host Jay Ryan and this is a Seattle Lumber podcast for the curious and committed. I'd like to first off apologize for the hiatus. Uh, moving has been much more of a challenge than I imagined, but we're finally settled in here and absolutely in love with this new city and province that we live in. And the reason that I never started a Patreon or anything of that nature is because I didn't want any extra pressure put on myself to to have to do this. I wanted to do it because I wanted to do it. And uh, I hope everyone understands and appreciates this. And yeah, we're, we're back at it now with a new great episode. Uh, a few things that have changed since the last time we talked is I personally put out an album on Folded Note Records called Do Too uh, as Samuel Edmund, which is my moniker and middle name. And that sold out on cassette, but probably sometime after this episode is released, uh, the repress will be available if anyone wanted to pick that up. And uh, check out everything else on Folded Note where you, while you're there. It's a It's a great label and I'm so happy that my first release got to be a part of it. And speaking of releases, today on the show we have uh, Daniel DeWitt, who records as The Lifted Index, and he has a new album called Sanctuary out on Sile Records. Um, Daniel did this really cool thing after he released his album on his Instagram where he, he basically told the story of his album, what inspired it, what it was about, and then went through each day with a, a post for a different piece of his gear and explained uh, the purpose that it served in the album and, and what parts it did and why. And it, it was a really cool thing. And I think it's, it's a model I could certainly see people borrowing going forward. So that was super cool, Daniel, and we appreciate it. Uh, the other thing is, after we finish talking, uh, I, I can sometimes be a terrible host and not give the guests the chance to say everything they want to say. So I did ask Daniel if there was anything that he wanted me to add in this intro talk here. And he said that uh, if anyone wants to have the definitive listening experience to Sanctuary, he highly recommends that you check it out on cassette. So I believe if you head over to Sile Records, there still should be some cassettes left. And if there's not, I'm sure uh, Boris will have more available in due time. And even if you can't take on the definitive listening experience, you can get it digitally and listen to this great conversation between Dan and myself here. So, all right, the Deerhorn's back. Let's do it. Musically, you know, I grew up uh, in a fairly musical family, and I got into playing music, like, in a band setting, right? I come from, like, a rock band background. High school, played in some bands, uh, picked up the guitar uh, because I wanted to play songs in youth group, and uh, (laughs) started playing in bands. Uh, I picked up the bass because some friends of mine were playing in a band and they were going to play a talent show. 
and uh, they were like, oh, you should come play bass for us. And I was like, ah, that's two less strings. I can do that. Like one note, sure. So that's how I learned how to play bass. And uh, and then in college, uh, I joined a band that I played in full-time for a while, uh, even after college. And we did, we did some cool stuff. It was a good band. Um, and I had to... I had to leave that band because we just ran out of runway, I guess, you know, like... What kind of music was that band like? I know you said rock, but narrow that down a little bit. (laughs) We were kind of a southern version of, uh, like, Seattle grunge. Uh, I guess that's how I would describe it. We really were into Pearl Jam and Nirvana and some of the more like theatrical stuff like Smashing Pumpkins and um, but then with a little bit of more of a bluesy edge to it, I guess. I mean we were we were a good band. I think some more stuff probably could have happened, but it just you know things like that don't you have to have the the time to to make something happen especially when you, people are doing you favors and like our record took like two years to make because we were just getting random studio time from a guy who was very generous with his time but he had to make a living right like so it just took it took too long and uh my wife was working a job she didn't like and it was just you know it was one of those things so i stopped doing that but when i stopped playing in the band i realized how much i needed that outlet Right, and so I started accumulating uh, home recording stuff and uh, getting into gear. I was not into gear before I played bass in the band. Didn't have a pedal board. I had a tuner and like one drive pedal. Right. I miss those days so much. <laughs> yeah, it was it was great. It was really great, um, but. The gear thing really took off after because it was like, well, I'll just get an interface so I can like write songs and then I'm going to get a nicer interface and then I'm going to get a synthesizer because I need to be able to like, I want to like flesh this stuff out and oh, well, I, you know, I have to record quietly in my house in the morning. So like I need something for drums, like maybe I'll look at drum machines like that could be cool. And then... So it goes. It goes and goes. <laughs> yeah. So I made a few solo records that were mainly just like me figuring out how to record stuff and not being particularly uh, editorial about what I was doing. It was uh, really instructive. And I don't think all the songs are bad or anything, but listening back now, it's kind of like definitely someone who's just kind of figuring stuff out, right? Like finding their way. Um, I was kind of all over the place. Was that under a different moniker then? Or like just your name? Just my name. Yeah. Yeah. It's out there. I mean, it's on the streaming sites if you want to... I don't know if I want to tell people that. (laughs) Well, we'll leave it at this and they can do the digging if they want. You're not a hard guy (laughs) to get a hold of. If you were so inclined. (laughs) If you were so inclined, you can hear a few solo records and, and, and... yeah, they're a little more, they're not like singer-songwriter records at all, uh, but they're a little more eclectic. I was listening to a lot of uh, like 60s and 70s rock 
like the kinks and stuff like that to uh so it's there um but then i got like the synth bug and uh started getting these ideas about uh i started running up against my limitations of like recording myself and so i was going to make this record it was in my mind was going to be maybe kind of like a last gasp kind of thing like i'm going to make a an, an album and it's going to be as good as i can make it and i'm going to get friends to help me uh particularly with the vocals right like because <laughs> that part is just painful and i wanted it to be fun um so i spent like and it was going to be more like of a band thing so i was going to have it wasn't going to be a solo record it was even though it was mostly going to be me um, and so that's where the Lifted Index came from. Like, that was what the band was going to be. Uh, and I worked on it for, like, four years. Four or five years. Because I had kids. I had three kids in that time. Uh, so it was like, whenever I could get it, uh, get time to do it. And it took forever. Um, and last year, I was so burnt out um, and had so much time at home. Um, and I just kind of started experimenting um, with different things like with ambient like take the pressure off me I don't want to write a song um, I don't want to write a pop song I should say right like I don't want to feel like I have to have a catchy hook you can throw a structure chorus. away I don't want to feel well not necessarily throw it away but just bend it right well, I, like, I mean more in the sense that I, I don't think there's like a defined structure for an ambient song that's true. Right? It can be whatever you want it to be as long as you tell the story that you want it to tell. Yeah. I have this voice in my head um, when I write songs, and it's uh, the person who I was probably was like the, the biggest collaborator that I had um, really ever musically, but in, in that band. Um, and he was always pushing me to like make stuff more immediate right so i like i just always have his voice in my head um and he's great and i don't mean anything uh by what i'm about to say toward him because he's still great but like i just needed that voice to go away um because it was it was making me unhappy right like music wasn't as fun as it could have been and uh it was satisfying, but it was like a puzzle, not like expression, right? Does that uh, make sense? Like puzzles are fun. It's fun when things fall into place, but it's not necessarily the same thing as like emotional, artistic release, right? It's a very different thing. Um, and so I just started playing and I was awful for a while. <laughs> and. Uh, the the people in the jogging house discord really helped me a lot how, how long have you been in that discord if you don't mind me asking because like i don't mind yeah uh i think just about from the beginning I, I don't remember the day that boris started it but i mean i was listening to a lot of jogging house when he started it so he was on my radar um and so when he did it i was like well that seems cool i like what he's doing I know that, like, you know, times are, well, no, well, was that right before 
everything closed down. So like it's been been happening for like I was kind of more curious when that started because I know you've you've made a lot of music that isn't bad since then. So I'm trying it to was, get a time think, frame of like it's a couple years yeah. kind of deal. No, it wasn't even uh I think it was last spring. March or April maybe. Right. Um and so like that last summer I like was like throwing a lot of spaghetti against the wall to, <laughs> to see what would stick. Um, cause I had all these ideas in my head about what my music needed to be. I thought like, I love drums too much. I have to have drums. Like I love listening to this other music that's a little more open. That doesn't necessarily have drums. It has rhythm, but it doesn't have drums. That was what drew me to Jogging House a lot was that even though there weren't drums, like it had structure and it also had rhythm, uh, which is, I think one of the big things that sets his stuff apart from a lot of other people but um, but I thought well like that doesn't work for me I need to have drums um, so like there's all these things that I just assume that I, ha- I have to have drums I have to have vocals like these are things that are me I have to do those things um, but then I don't I, I, I don't know why well no I do know why I got past that I'll tell you why this is so stupid because it's like this podcast, but it's true. The Coco Qantas did it. Like, it was the spark. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. I don't know if that's like extremely basic of me on the Deerhorn podcast to say this, but like, that was the, like, the thing that broke the dam, right? Like, took me out enough of my head to be more free to just express something instead of like try to fit a previously conceived mold of what my stuff was going to be. And that was Sedna. It was just I'm going to I'm going to record these songs with just for fun. This was my side project cuz I'm going to work on this other record, but I can't work on the other record cuz I'm doing vocals with my friend and I can't go to my friend's studio anymore, right? Because of COVID. So I'm just going to make this record totally chill no expectations really for my friends in the discord um and it was so fun it was just fun it was like no effort just purely joy right uh the coco's that way it's just like wow once you figure out how to set the inputs and everything to make sure that everything's not like too insanely noisy it's just fun. Like, even if it's not always good, it's always interesting. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of it pushed me forward, and just and, and I just never stopped. After that, it was just like, no, I'm I can't go back. I'll finish. I mean, I'll finish that other record someday. But it was it was too fun. So I was like, oh, this is what the lifted index is. It's not the other thing. I don't know what that other thing is yet, but this is this is it now. So. Well, it's funny too because I've always like found it interesting that, like, from what I understand, you you didn't do the Eurorack thing at all, right? Like, never. Mm-mm. I've never seen a module in real life, to be honest with you. I've never looked at one in person. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. And I, I don't really have. 
Well, that's not true. I can't say I don't have an interest in it. Everyone's at least a little bit curious, I think, right? Yeah, it's true. Oh, I hate it that it's true, but it is. Um, no, I don't. And I think that's... Well, the other thing that that helped me was... we We've talked about this before a little bit. That, like, when you try to sound like something else, to sound like somebody else, or you have the song, you're, I'm going to... I got this idea in my head that's going to... It's like, it's kind of like so-and-so meets so-and-so and and i'm gonna try that and it's like it never works out for me until you just stop and that is is very easy to say just stop trying to sound like other people it is not easy to do no right like it's incredibly difficult um and it takes work which doesn't seem like it should uh but it really does like and again, it's like, I don't know if I'm giving the Coco Kiwanis too much credit, but that was maybe it was just what happened and it just happened to be the timing of when I got it. But um, it was, it. I think maybe because it takes away, like I like to control a lot of stuff and there's some stuff that you can't control on that. Um, and so you just have to kind of step back and take what's given to you, right? And then go from there and respond to it rather than everything is going to come out of my head. There are no surprises because it's all in my brain, right? And I'm tired of my brain. I need something else. Um, but it it provides that and then you're able to just respond to it and think about that rather than, oh, this doesn't sound like jogging house. This doesn't sound like Arbenny. I try to sound like Arbenny. I don't know how many times I've tried to do that, and then it just doesn't. It just doesn't work because I'm not him. I can't do that. I think there's something like, from what I've noticed in my uh, attempts at copying other people and whatnot, I, I think you can borrow from their production. But even if you were to tell me, you know, the scales that you use or the the notes that you put together, there's something about people's voices and melodic choices that is just like a very from the heart, like guttural thing. And and I don't know what that is, but I know like with Alessandro Cortini, I always hear with people like Jogging House and Arbini, like you can hear their melodies and the way that things come together a million miles away. And what I thought was interesting to bring this back to you, I was listening to the uh, Joggers compilation this morning while I was making breakfast. And I I just let it play. I didn't, at this point, I didn't know, you know, what tracks were what, who was who. That's fine. I just wanted to listen to the music. And as soon as the track came on that you were a part of, I heard the guitar. I'm like, oh, that... That, that might be the one. Then I heard the notes, and I'm like, there's no way. Like, this has to be him. It has to be. And I think, you know, that's just proof that you found your version of that. You found your voice. And I think a lot of it comes through, uh, particularly in your guitar playing, which is, you know, I, I definitely think what makes your album pretty unique to the style catalog. Yeah. Um Embracing the guitar again was, I think, the other big thing that I did uh, that that helped push me along was that kind of like 
self-acceptance of like, I want to play with the gear, right? Like I want to play with the, the synths and the weird stuff. And like, I've always been drawn to that stuff. Uh, it's always been interesting to me. I was always trying to bring more of it into my grunge band, which is like not necessarily a great place for a lot of that stuff, but that was where my heart was, right? Like I really wanted that stuff. Um, but the truth of it is, is like, that's still a little bit like a foreign language to me, right? Like I'm still, like I know what to do, but it's not my native tongue, right? Like that's the guitar. It was like the first thing, I mean, I skipped over a part where I, I have a music degree. Oh, that's a, pr- that's a pretty big part. <laughs> <laughs> I picked up the trombone and before all this stuff, but it's it, they're almost like two different. Like, I'm I'm trained to play the trombone, but I learned to play the guitar, right? Because I like I wanted to learn the guitar. I mean, I chose to play the trombone, but like everything was taught. Like, I still am not great at improvising with the trombone because it's it's just a totally different part of my brain. Um, but the uh, the guitar is like. because I wasn't singing, it was almost like I took too much away, right, of myself at once. It was like, I'm not going to sing and I'm not going to play the guitar. Like, what else is there? Or the trombone? What? What are you doing? So bringing the guitar back in and saying like, okay, this is a thing that I know. I can have everything else spiraling around me, right, that I don't understand necessarily, but I'm just barely containing it, but I can center it on the guitar. Um, and that was that was kind of a light bulb moment. And then the next thought was, oh, and not a lot of people are doing that too, so that's cool. Maybe that can be my thing. Um, which, I mean, I did think about. It wasn't the first thing. It wasn't like... Ah, I, I see this opportunity, right? Like <laughs> to exploit, but it did cross my mind fairly early on that, like, oh, this is kind of a thing um, to do this. But yeah, I don't know the 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 voice part of the guitar. I mean, I know what you mean, and sometimes I feel bad about it because it just kind of comes out, and it feels like I need to hunt more for something. But no, man, that that's your thing that you love, and everyone else, that's what. That's your version of it, you know? Yeah, but it it kind of caught me by surprise a little bit, to be honest with you. I mean, like, that's not the kind of music that I wrote in my band. That's not the kind of music that I wrote as a solo artist, right? Like, none of that stuff. Um, I mean, what it sounds the most to me like is that, like cleaner post-rock kind of uh, like cigarettes or some of the like slow dive stuff or you know but and I love those bands but I'm not obsessed with those bands right like uh, so I don't know why I don't really know why they're, they're like the sideline influence like they're not in your you know they the came, clear they path. came out of nowhere yeah yeah they 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 somehow managed to worm their way so deeply into my subconscious that they just I don't know they just stuck or maybe because I'm not 
a great enough guitar player to play more than one note at a time and so that also just kind of works out that way it's like very simple i mean i can do a little bit more than what i do on the recordings but sometimes i'll do it and then it's like no that's too much delete it's not what it delete, needs delete yeah. play about half you need to play about half of what i just played or play it half as slow uh I think this is probably like a good time to get into the new record then because let's talk I, I, about it. You know, that was a huge part. Like for me, I see your guitar playing on Sanctuary almost as like, this is a, a super Canadian reference, but you know, everything else is like the rink and then like, the 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 net is is the guitar playing. It's like yeah. the thing that you know ties it all the game together. together or whatever. Yeah, I and, think that's true. I think that's and, true. And just to to back what I kind of wanted to talk about this earlier, but one of the things like I think there is you know like we're both fans of like uh, Home Normal and and some mm-hmm. of these other guitar-y ambient places, but. A lot of times I've found with guitar and ambient is that it it's basically just processed to the point that you don't know it's a guitar anymore, mm-hmm. which is great and cool and it's its, its own thing. Yep. But you kind of went the polar opposite way where mm-hmm. you're like, this is going to be clean and upfront and here it is. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, I just think that like hearing you now say that that was kind of the thing that you realized like you could fit into and whatever, like it all just makes so much sense now. Yeah. I mean, it's a choice, but also I'm just not that good at putting a whole bunch of effects on like it. It's hard for me and also doesn't really make me that happy. Like I love watching other people do it on YouTube there's no shortage. No, it's super fun though. Um, but if I try it, like, I just, I don't know. I don't have the patience for it. I don't really have the time for it, I guess, too. A lot of, honestly, a lot of my decisions right now, my musical decisions are made based on um, how much time I have at any given moment to sit down and record. Because my kids, I have small kids. I make, we haven't really talked about this yet, but uh, a number of people know that I make most of them right record most of the music like either super early in the morning or after my kids go to bed um and i don't always know if they're gonna wake up early i don't always know if they're gonna have a bad dream and scream for me in the middle of the night or you know like all that stuff so i don't have time to spend an hour on a guitar tone and not record a note right like i just don't have the time i can't do it um even if I did have the time, I'm not sure I, I would enjoy that. But, but honestly, it's really just a time thing. Like, um, and so, and other people just do it way better than I could ever do it. So, yeah, let's do the clean guitar, and um, just try to put interesting notes together, which I can do a little bit of, and uh, that's that's kind of where I landed. I don't know. It's honestly, it stumbled. I feel like I stumbled into it. It. I'm very happy about it. I don't like. I don't want to sound. Too. I don't want to sound full of myself because I really don't feel like I, it. I mean, it just happened. I don't. I don't know. 
right? Like, it was not calculated. I didn't plan it. It just came out that way. And I'm very thankful for it. That's all. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's fine. It's fine to be humble and stumble upon things. I think what's important and that, you know, we as listeners can all agree is that it's great. And that's... Well, that's sweet. That's the most important thing, I think, right? My, my default because it's the truest thing that I can think of. Like I'm, I'm happy with what I've done, um, but I can, I can confidently say that it's the best that I could do, um, and that's about all I think you can really ask for. And and if if at the end of the day, I feel like the thing that I set out to make was the thing that I made, then as an artist, that is your responsibility. That's the end of it, right? How it's accepted or interpreted afterwards is not within your realm of control, and you're only going to make it worse if you try. So uh, I'm very happy when people say they like the music. It makes me super happy and uh, encourages me to make more. Um, but really, like, it's just kind of bonus. Um, it's like this gift that was given to me last fall to be able to make music that I feel like really proud of and all my other stuff is my like other albums and stuff were kind of like I mean I made this thing I worked really hard on it here it is like I don't necessarily have a whole lot of I don't like the word pride but like I don't feel the need to revisit that stuff but this stuff I feel like I made this as best I could and it stands as it is and I'm okay with that and I'm okay with people not liking it because I know that I made the thing that I meant to make you know and I, I want I find myself wanting to say that to people now like people who make music because we have you know we're a very small community Nobody is doing this to, like, get rich, certainly, but, like, even to m make, a, like, a full-time living, like, very, very rare. Um, and so there's a lot of... I mean, it's great because people do it for the love of it, right? And that's wonderful. Um, but there's... I think there's a lot of self-doubt and some... For people that, like, if, if their music isn't accepted or if, you know, they're struggling with whatever it is that they're trying to create. Um, and I, I just want people to know that it's not, I mean, it's not about that. Like, it's not, it really is, did you make the thing that you meant to make? That's the goal, right? Like, and if it's, and if, if you didn't, that's okay like you you can grow right you can learn and grow but like whether or not somebody else likes it really doesn't I somebody said something I don't wish I could remember who it was uh, I saw this on Twitter and it just totally blew my mind somebody said um, essentially how many times a song is played is not the indicator on of how much it's worth or how important it is. And it's such a simple thing, 
But holy moly, man, that really just floored me. It's so true, right? Like, whether, because going to the grocery store last summer was the most stressful thing in the world, but I could put on chance, right? And get through going to the stupid grocery store and being stressed out about the people who were way too close to me and who weren't following the arrows in the uh, aisles, right? But like, so whether, you know, whether or not tens of thousands of people hear chants, like that music is very important to a certain number of people. Um, and it's because, you know, Boris made the music that he wanted to make. And it's clear that the intention, the emotional intention is there. Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of going off on a thing. But I feel very strongly about this, Jay, if you can't tell. I, I, I can tell. <laughs> and I think that, that this is something that I'd you know, love for the podcast to get across in general because I struggle with the same things for a long time. Yeah. We've talked about that. Like both of us only really recently fully opened up to the world Late you know yes that's okay and, and it's not scary like you do that thing that you believe in once and then after that then you just know like that's all it takes i just have to believe in it it is what i want like you said and, and it's as simple as that sometimes it might take you a while to get there but you will if you want to and it does it does require some maintenance i mean it's not like you cross over that hill and then suddenly you're free and you never care about what anybody else thinks or want your, <laughs> your music to, to, to have more people listen to it or, you know, that's not true. I mean, I, it's, it's like a daily thing of battling that, like, the expectation game, right? Like, redefining what success is over and over and over and over and not getting caught up in, oh, who... You know, who has more God, stupid, stupid stuff. Like how many more, more clicks are there on the Bandcamp uh, page where you can click down to see how many people who have supported it, right? Like stupid stuff like that. Like that stuff does not really matter, um, but it's very easy to draw yourself into it, right? Like everybody wants to compare themselves to other people, but it doesn't make you happy. It really doesn't. No, and, and, no, it really doesn't. And happiness is not the end goal of life, I don't think, but uh, you certainly don't want to make it harder for yourself to be happy. <laughs> well, I feel bad changing the pace here a little bit, but... Don't, I, I'm don't just feel curious. bad. You need, re- you need to put me back on the rails, Jay. I'm, I've gone off them. <laughs> I really wanted to talk about this with you because it's something that I definitely appreciate in your work and something that I struggle with. And I know that, that you like multi-track your music Mm -hmm. or however people want to view that. And I know there's kind of both camps in our community. Some people do it all live and some people multi-track. And I think, you know, like both sides envy different things Uh about the other sides, but I'm just really curious about your process. Like, uh, how do you get the initial inspiration? How do you grow it? Because there was just subtleties and stuff in, in the mixes of Sanctuary that I was listening to. And I'm like, 
I've had similar things in my tracks where I'm like, oh, I wish I could just go back and make that fade a little smoother. Mm -hmm. And and you have that control, right? I do. I do have that control. And you know what? I like that control. I like it a lot. And I feel like a little bit like a bad ambient boy for uh, wanting that control and not just feeling like I'm just going to be super free about this and let the mistakes be in there. Uh, but I do like the control. I like it. Um, tracks start. Well, let's see. On Sanctuary, a lot of the stuff started, I think, with the Digitone. Um, there's a lot of stuff with the Digitone, although every, I mean, let's see. Passerin started on the Lyra. Um, so it kind of just depends. I mean, I guess there's there's like a spark of something that is interesting. If it's on the Digitone, I can sequence it and play with it, right? And I don't have to record it right away. Um, so like with a song like Passerin, uh, I think I started that by, it was like right after I got the Lyra and recorded, I messed around with it and I just recorded a track it was like, I don't know, like five minutes worth of just stuff. Because, again, it was probably like five o'clock in the morning, and I knew, okay, I got to go get ready for work soon, so I need to do something. And I recorded it and left it alone and then built stuff around that. And, I mean, when you got an instrument like that, right, that doesn't stay in tune very well, and I have wandering tiny hands, six of them, I have three kids, right, who come around and <laughs> twiddle knobs and stuff, and I don't always know that they're gonna do it. It's like, I, I can't leave this and try to like very daintily work up a track around it. I just I just record it and then uh, hope for the best, I guess. And then I can always re-record it if it doesn't work out, which, I mean, I do a lot of that too. Um, but I like the challenge a little bit of wondering, like, I'm going to perform this thing and I don't exactly know what's going to happen after. Uh, what, because then I'll, you know, pretty early on in a song's process, right, I'll throw the, the bass on it, right? So I'll find a bass line. And that's where it can really change because uh, you start revoicing things with the bass. And then suddenly it's like, oh, even to the point of like, oh, this thing that I originally came up with that I thought was going to be part of like a more of a major happy key thing like became kind of dark. Didn't expect that, but let's follow that. Okay, and see where it goes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll start with something like the Digitone or something like the Lyra, some kind of like a mid-voice uh, pad kind of sound. Um that just something that feels feels good, right? Like it feels open and spacey and airy and has like a, a good vibe. Uh, and then usually a bass will come in after that. The bass is where I get a lot of my structure. Um, I don't necessarily have like choruses, but there's definitely like, here's the A section, here's kind of the verse or whatever. And then maybe there's a breakdown, maybe there's a tag or something. And I have, I mean, I'll mark it in my DAW, right? Like. Here's where the bass is going to come in. Here's where it'll drop out. That kind of stuff. Um, and a lot of times that will change. Um, but again, it helps me. It's like it's 
at anything that helps me move forward, I will do it. Um, so then it's usually bass. And after that, maybe I start throwing stuff through the Coco Qantas or uh, just to get little extra things. Um, guitars usually come pretty late. Uh, and lots of times it'll be, I come up with a guitar part that I like, I'll record it, I'll record a harmony to it, maybe I'll record a third harmony to it, and then maybe I'll listen to it and think it's amazing, and then I'll go to sleep, and I'll wake up the next morning, and I'll listen to it, and I'll go, oh my god, it's so busy. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> We've all felt that. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's not even that it's too much, it's just so far beyond. Um, anytime I start to feel like proud of myself for something that I've done, you know, that I've probably let my ego get in the way a little bit too much and it's like, that's not what the song needs. But that's okay because a lot of times that's where my, like, my favorite thing in the world is to run uh, like two or three guitar parts through the Coco Qantas. It's the best. So I'll, again, thank you, Daw. I can just, you know, send all the guitar parts out through my line output and run it into the Coco and start pushing buttons and grabbing little pieces. Sometimes I'll get like whole phrases. Sometimes I just, I mean, literally, the listener can't see me tapping, but, uh, you know, tap those little buttons and just poke in like to get all these, you know, glitchy little snippets and just see what happens. And now I know the Coco enough to where I I know if like, oh, that's dumb, that's not gonna work, let me try again. And I just do it till it, it feels right. Like if I get something that I like and then play with dropping an octave or, you know, whatever. And uh, so it's, it's not work that was f lost, right? Like I would never sit down and compose a three-part harmony guitar orchestra thing only to send it through the Coco Qantas and destroy it. I would never do that. I have to think that I'm doing something that's amazing that will work for the song as a melody <laughs> and, and then totally fail and then like use the scraps for, for other things. And it works, it works really well. I, I wish that I could not I could skip over that like disappointed feeling of, oh, I failed in this task, but uh, I'm, I'm getting better at overcoming that and saying, no, it's not failure. It's just, you know, inspiration by another road. That's fine. Um, and so then I'll go back. And once I go through messing the stuff up, uh, then I kind of get re-energized with the song. And it's like, oh no, it's still okay. I still can do this. Um, and then I get excited and I go back to the guitar and come up with melodies. Um, and then maybe I'll end up re-recording the bass or fixing some stuff time-wise. Um, I tend to record a lot and longer than I need to. Uh, and I'll, you know, bring stuff in and out of the DAW. I don't do a ton of automation. I try not to. Um, but I do if I need to, you know, like, because I can. I figure if I'm gonna multi-track, I might as well take advantage of it um, instead of being a 
you know, a complete ambient poser and uh, not recording everything to two-track stereo. But I like the control. I think you're self-proclaimed <laughs> when it comes to the poser thing. <laughs> I, I know. I'm, I'm happy with it. With I, every now and then, I, I feel that little bit of imposter syndrome of, I should be able to do more of this live. And eventually I would like to play some of this stuff live, and that presents its own kind of challenge. Uh, well, the Octatrack can sort that out. Just talk to Ambilek. Well, yeah, I have, and I'm sure I will <laughs> some more. Um, I talk to a lot of people. Everybody has opinions. And uh, I think what I really need is I need guitar. I need a band. I think I need guitar players. I just need... That's way cooler. I need two, <laughs> at least two guitar players to flank me. And then I can just... See, I don't know. I don't know. That's for another... That's for another time. I'm not going to worry about that right now because I keep wanting to make records. I don't want to stop. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Um, one of the things that you did that I thought was really cool, and I'll I'll uh, definitely talk about it in the intro to the show, but just to get a kind of simplified version, so you you talked a little bit on your Instagram page about the album, what you know the story was behind it, what inspired it, the gear you used, and all of that. For anyone who hasn't followed you yet, um, would you mind just kind of breaking down the general vibe of Sanctuary in terms of the story behind it. You fell off my computer again. Yeah, no, I, w I would not mind that at all. Um, Sanctuary started last November. My family and I went to this place called the Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary in South Florida. Um, and it has this like, I think it's like a two mile walking bridge through the marsh that you can walk around and like through the swamp, like right, you're right there. You could see an alligator across your path if you, I mean, not often, but you could. They warned us anyway, lots of, you know, birds and animals and uh, really wonderful scenery and get a sense of what the place is like. And um, along the trail, there are a bunch of plaques and things where you can read about the history of the place and um, information about some of the trees because a lot of the trees have names and the different uh, plant life and stuff um, and I just found it super fascinating and I loved all of the names that I was reading so I just started writing them down because I was like oh this is super interesting I just finished a record and so I was and I had no clue about what I was going to do next. So I just started writing all this stuff down because I thought it was really interesting. And then I read more about the history of the place. And um, I mean, it's, it was just a really beautiful story. Like the first, um, the people who established the sanctuary, when they, when they first started settling in that area, um, the swamp was a bad place, right? Like... Nobody wanted to go to the swamp. It was scary. They didn't understand it. So they wanted to fix it for them, right? They wanted to tame it. And they saw all these birds that have all these beautiful feathers. And they thought, like, oh, I want to wear that as a hat. And so they, you know, killed a bunch of birds and um, just, like, completely wrecked 
the ecosystem down there. And um, eventually, some of the same people who had wrecked it realized what they did and established this sanctuary to try and, you know, build it back up to fix their mistakes. Um, and I found that really beautiful. Like, that redemptive kind of story is very uh, important to me. And uh, I think we need more uh, stories like that. So it just, it just kind of made my brain go crazy. And uh, I don't know how it is in other places, but in America, especially over the last few years, you know, you can't, I can't hear the word sanctuary without thinking of sanctuary cities and uh, immigration and uh, the horrible, horrible stuff uh, that has been said by people who should know better uh, about immigrants and um, specifically sanctuary cities being, I mean, it's just awful stuff. Uh, and I thought that this story of the swamp resonated with that as well, that like these people who come here who try and control things that they don't understand or to kill things that they don't understand, right? Like this is, this is not a new problem. This is a human problem, right? When we don't understand something, we're either afraid of it or we just we want to get rid of it, right? Um, and that's true of the swamp and it's true of people that we don't know and that we don't understand. Um, and that's a shame because there's a lot of beauty that you're missing out on when you shut yourself off from it, right? And it's just cruel. I mean, it's awful. So those uh, kind of twin themes were in my head the entire time, right? Like, so the, the environment, the way that we treat uh, our environment around us and then the way that we treat other people, specifically immigrants. Um, so I was thinking about that stuff while I made the record. I didn't really get super into that detail on Instagram because I don't, I don't exactly know how to talk about it because I'm not an expert, right? Um, but it was, um, it was a big part of it. So uh, the song titles are, the songs are about either, you know, related to uh, some of the the wildlife there or um, the the environment there and some of the people who uh, actually have trees named after them there um, were some of the people who established the sanctuary and people who died uh, really for the swamp. Uh, one guy, uh, William Dutcher, the song Dutcher is named after, was a, a poacher who stopped poaching, right, <laughs> and uh, realized it was bad, and then was killed in the swamp when he confronted people who were trying to shoot down birds there. So he, I mean, literally gave his life trying to, you know, fix this. So, um, I mean, I just found all that stuff super inspiring. And, I don't know, the thing about uh, narrative, thematic, ambient albums is that, like, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily know if you're just listening to the music. Um, but I, like I said before, I'm always 
trying to come up with things that propel me forward, right? So like, I got so excited about this idea that I wanted to sit down and work on music every chance I had, right? Because I had this thing and it was, it felt big and important. Not because the music was important necessarily, but because like these ideas are big and I needed to wrestle with them and I needed to figure them out for myself and figure out how I wanted to talk about them 